church, and uh, man, I am really excited to be together. We are starting a series today called Roommates or Soulmates, and it's just going to be a really good day, Um, and you know, preachers and pastors say that sometimes. Maybe you're thinking, how do you know, Jason? How do you know it's going to be a good day? Uh, I know. I'm confident. I've had confirmation from the Lord this morning. I stopped by King Donuts in our South Louisville location Right around the corner at South Louisville, we have a, a, a new donut place. And I went, and I just wanted one donut. And when she was taking it out, it tore in two. And she said she felt bad, so she gave me two for the price of one. And I felt as if God was giving me a sign. Really, two confirmations. One, that God is real, but two, that I'm fat. And I thought, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be a good day. Two for one donuts. Come on. Uh, I do just want to say as we, as we jump in, uh, I know our MCs said it earlier, but I do just want to give a little bit of a warning that towards the end of service today, the, the conversation is going to move a little bit towards the adult side. Nothing crazy, but uh, probably something that, you know, you wouldn't want your younger kids, middle or uh, elementary school kids to, to hear uh, from us, that rather from you. So uh, if you just want to give you a heads up towards the end, actually, I have an 11-year-old uh, my daughter Sadie, and she said, Dad, can I be in service with you guys today? And I said, no, not today. And she said, why? And I said, well, you know, we're just talking about some stuff that's like a little bit older than you, maybe some adult stuff. She said, oh, you're talking about bills today? I said, yeah, that's right. We're talking about bills today. <laughs> and so if you don't want your kids to hear about bills from me, then um, go check them in. The last thing I want you to know is that throughout this series, uh, my wife Andrea is going to be joining me here in just a few minutes, and then she'll, she'll be joining us throughout the series. And uh, we would love to try to answer, your, answer some of your questions. We will try to answer some live, but also we'll maybe do some podcasts during the week. I don't know, Facebook, we'll figure it out. Um, but if you have any questions, you can text those in anonymously. I don't know if they have this number, but they can get it for you, and we can throw it up there at some point. Uh, but it's 502-208-8872. 502-208-8872. We'll make sure we get that out so that you can, I think it's on your sermon guide. If you got one of those, um, you, can, you can grab that. But um, that's, a, that's a Google phone number. It's not anybody's personal phone number. So you can text whatever questions you would like, and, uh, and we'll try to answer those together throughout, throughout the series, okay? There are all kinds of life, seasons of life represented in the room today. This is a series predominantly about marriage, predominantly about romantic relationships, but we know that there are all kinds of different seasons represented, some dating, some divorced, some widowed, some teenagers, and, and so a lot of what we can say and what we will say can apply to different areas of life, but we are specifically going to be talking about marriage, and so if you're dating and you're thinking maybe they could be the one, uh, I would encourage you to listen. Take some notes uh, because you're going to hear some valuable information that will help you if they are the one to take that, that step. This is also a great opportunity if you're dating and you're not married and you hear some things that give you concerns to leave them. Uh, that would be great advice too. You could break up um, because you're not committed yet. And so that's a good idea. We highly encourage that. Um, if you're engaged we, we call it like there's newlyweds and there's nearlyweds. If you're a nearlywed, uh, listen up, get a head start. If you're happily married, just take notes, you know, get better. But if you're married and unhappy, angry, frustrated, brokenhearted, I, I want you to know that we have been praying for you. 
We've been praying for you. And, and our hope and our prayer is that, is that over these next three weeks that God will use these messages to begin the process of healing, begin the process of bringing the relationship back to a uh, fun, interesting, romantic, intimate place. Because please hear me, marriage doesn't have to be miserable. If you are friends with or related to somebody who always talks about how miserable marriage is, block their number. Stop having dinner with them, all right? Like, don't, don't keep listening. Find people who love marriage. Find people who believe in marriage. Find people who think that marriage is a fantastic idea and hang out with those people. And so I really want to encourage you to be here all three weeks of this series. Maybe you're a guest with us today. I just want to encourage you, Shepherdsville, South Louisville, wherever you're at, however you're a part of this, I want to encourage you to be a part of this all three weeks because it's going to be a good time. So are you ready? Okay, let's do this, and uh, we're ready to, to get started. For this first week, we want to talk about this idea of closing the gap, the idea of, of closing the gap. Everyone say, close the gap. Come on, say it one more time. Close the gap. What do I mean by closing the gap? Well, I mean closing the distance that we feel when we're unhappy or we're hurt or we're uninterested. Um, today's message is really a message about, about bitterness. It's a message about, about bitterness. Let me say it this way. I can be a better spouse or a bitter spouse, but I can't be both. I can be a better spouse or I can be a bitter spouse, but I can't be both. I read an article recently because the headline got my attention. Uh, the, headline said, um, the headline said, scientists say one behavior is the kiss of death for a relationship. Well, that got my attention. And so I clicked on it. And here's what it said. I want to read this to you. It said, Robert Levinson and John Gottam from the University of California, Berkeley, have identified one behavior in marriage so powerful that it can successfully predict divorce at an alarming rate. There's a flaw. So powerful, Levinson and Gottman call it the kiss of death. More than criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling, even adultery, what is more dangerous is the emotion or the behavior of contempt. Contempt. The emotion of contempt in your marriage can successfully predict divorce up to 93%. Yikes. Now, according to Gottman, feeling smarter than, better than, or more sensitive than your significant other means you're not only less likely to see his or her opinions as valid, but more importantly, you're far less willing to try to put yourself in his or her shoes to try to see a situation from his or her perspective. And maybe as you hear that, you're, you take a big sigh of relief, like, okay, great, because I don't have any contempt for my spouse. But contempt is more than anger. Contempt is feeling that your spouse is beneath you. So I want you to think about the last fight that you had with your significant other, with your spouse. Think about the last fight you had. Now, I'm going to just kind of make up a hypothetical scenario here, but maybe you ask them to stop by the grocery store on their way home, and they didn't. Or maybe they did, and they bought the wrong thing. Now, I don't want to stereotype but guys, how many times have we bought the wrong thing at the store? Come on, if you've ever bought the wrong thing at the store, let me see your hand. 
Maybe they brought home the wrong thing. Now, listen, it's not wrong to be frustrated with your spouse who purchased the wrong item. But here's why I'm describing this scenario. Whatever the scenario would be for you when this happened, what was your attitude? What was your demeanor towards them? Because that's the answer that makes all the difference. Let me give you some, some, some extremes on, the, on either end. Did, did you think when your spouse brought home the wrong thing from the store, maybe I wasn't clear about what I asked for, or, you know what, I've been to the store before, and there's a lot of options on the shelf, and I, I, I've, bought it, I've bought the wrong thing before. You know what, it's an understandable mistake. That's one option. Or instead was your attitude, what kind of idiot doesn't know the right kind of dishwasher detergent that we use? Maybe if you wash the dishes more, you would know the right kind of detergent that we used. Or how dumb do you have to be to buy the wrong marinara sauce? But to be fair, there's a lot of marinara sauces, okay? This is hypothetical, I'm saying. If, like, if hypothetically this were to happen, whatever it is. Spending money, putting a dent in the car, uh, the way that someone parents children, the way that someone works a certain hour. What is your attitude towards, towards that person? Because if it's contempt, if it's this idea of looking down on, you could be headed towards a very bad place. And the question that always gets me is how does it happen? How does it happen? How do two people go from being infatuated with each other? I see it. I see it. I do premarital counseling with couples all the time. You see it too. You know. And they're infatuated with each other. And I always ask the question when we do premarital counseling, I always ask the question, what are you most excited for about marriage? And they'll answer that. And what are you most nervous about? And you know, so many times when I ask what are you most nervous about, I get the answer, nothing. It's going to be great. We got it. And then I always try to ask the question, hey, what? What is it that kind of annoys you or that you think could potentially grow into something that could be really frustrating? I'm trying to think of something. I just can't, you know, I, I just, I'm th- I can't think of anything really. And I, you know, I always laugh because I think, bless your heart. And I, 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 but I understand, I know we've all been there, this infatuation. Science says that infatuation actually blocks parts of the brain that allow you to recognize flaws in somebody, Right? So how does it happen that you go from this infatuated, oblivious to their flaws kind of place to eye rolls, cheap shots, and and really disdain? This real disdain that there was this person that I loved more than anyone else in the world, and now there is this person that frustrates me and makes me more angry than anyone else in the world. Now listen, you may not be all the way to that place. Maybe you're somewhere on... The journey, But we're going to read a few Bible verses that, that are going to answer that question. How do you get to that place? And how do you take the steps all along the way to get to that place? How do soulmates end up feeling like roommates? How do you go from not being apart to one person sitting upstairs and one person sitting downstairs? How do you go from not being able to keep your hands off each other to not even sleeping in the same bed anymore? How do, how do soulmates become, become roommates? Well, I, I love the Bible. It's so practical to where we are. That if anybody ever tells you the Bible's outdated, it doesn't really relate to anything going on in your life, they've never read the Bible. Because the Bible says 
so much to write where we are. And if you have a sermon guide, you can grab that out at both our locations. Grab a Bible. It's either in the seat you're in or underneath the seat in front of you. I'm going to have it on the screen here for you. But we're going to read some verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Just a couple of verses together to see how the process begins and eventually ends up at roommates instead of, instead of soulmates. So let's look at this together, starting with verse 14, Hebrews 12. It says, work. Everybody say work. Work. Ugh. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work. Everybody say work. work. At living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. So he's going to reference this Old Testament story in the book of Genesis. And you uh, you don't have to know the whole story, but he's going to give you the cliff notes that Esau traded his birthright as the firstborn. He, He gave up something that was precious to him in a moment that he shouldn't have done, but he gave it up because he, he, he didn't understand the gravity of the moment. He traded his birthright, his firstborn son, for a single meal. And you know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. There, there is this myth that if someone is a soulmate, it'll be easy. That if it's not easy, they must be the wrong person. But when you say I do and you get married, that means you married the right person. And just because something is hard doesn't mean that it is wrong. Look at a few of the words that, that we read. Work. Look out. Watch out. Make sure. These are all words just in the few verses that we read together. Work at it. Work at it. Work at it. Work at it. It's like Missy Elliott wrote this. I mean, you got to work it. You gotta, you, you've got to work at your relationships. You've got to work at it and look out for it and watch out for it. And make sure, the Apostle Paul says, in these relationships... These verbs, these proactive words. Not this idea that, well, if they're the right person, it will all work out. If it's the right person, I don't have to work at it. If it's the right person, then we can put it on cruise control. It's not what it says. And this world is designed to pull you apart from your spouse. Not because there's an evil genius somewhere working at it. It, it, It's just because of the way that it's constructed and everybody's selfish and everybody works towards their own interests. So no one is thinking about you prioritizing your marriage. Your kids' coaches? Nah. No, they're not thinking about you prioritizing your marriage. Your boss? No. He's not thinking about you or she's not thinking about you prioritizing your marriage. Your kids' teachers? Your kids, I got a four-year-old, five-year-old, now I just turned five. I got a five-year-old right now that's seriously competing to take my wife away from me. I mean, he is really putting on the charm, trying to separate us and get his smooch on, and I am having to fight. But in all seriousness, even our own kids can become a separator of, uh, of our relationship. 
And if you don't make sure that your relationship and your marriage is good, who else is going to? And what happens when you don't work and watch out and look out and make sure? He tells us that a poisonous root of bitterness begins to grow. A poisonous root of bitterness begins to grow. It just begins. It's under the surface. It's a root. It's under the surface. It's just, it's just this steady baseline, not that big a deal yet, but I can see it there. And if you ever got me, you know, talking about it, I could probably go off a little bit on it. Just a little poisonous root of bitterness. And maybe even as I'm talking about this, you would, you would say to yourself, like, well, I, that's not me. I, I don't have a poisonous root of bitterness in my heart towards my spouse. I hope so. I think probably. I mean, I think that would be great. Let me give you a few examples. When it's small, when it's kind of unnoticed, when it's unnoticeable, it's not, you're not tracking with it. When it's small, a poisonous root of bitterness could, could sound something like, I feel like you make all the decisions and never ask my opinion. I mean, like, that's not the end of the world, but I just, I feel like you make all the decisions. You never ask my opinion. Or maybe after you've been home day after day after day with children that you love and want to be there with, but still being frustrated, you, you begin to say things like, you get to be gone for work all the time, but I have to be home all day with these kids. Or, or maybe it's, I work hard for my money. I wish I could spend some of it on me. Or maybe you walk into the room one night and you hear your spouse on the phone with their mom and they're saying negative things about you. And you're like, why do you always talk bad about me to your mom? Maybe it's just little shots like you're so lazy. You're so selfish. Maybe it's I feel like you keep secrets from me and I don't trust you. Maybe it's I wish we had more sex. I feel like you're always on your phone. I feel like you'd rather hang out with your friends than hang out with me. The kids need to sleep in the bed with us. These, these are all not that big a deal, little things that can begin to grow under the surface because we're not working, looking out, making sure, and watching. And a poisonous root of bitterness begins to grow, and a gap begins to appear in our relationship. When you finally get around to scheduling an appointment with one of our pastors or a counselor, it's not these little tiny things anymore. It's, it's statements like, you know what, it's just easier when you're not around. And in all the years of premarital counseling, when I've asked, what are you most excited for about marriage? I've never heard a couple say, you know what, I'm really excited. He gets a job out of town and I never have to see him. No one ever says that. No, no one ever says you know what I'm really excited about is that we could have some kids and that she could just love the children but ignore me. But when it grows, it's all you care about are the kids. Don't tell me how to spend my money. I'll buy whatever I want. Maybe it gets to a point where you say, you know what, my parents were right about you. I wish I'd have never married you. My friends were right about you. I should have never married you. And before you know it, there's a gap. There's a gap. And you never, you never realized it was happening, or maybe you did, but you, you never realized 
it got as wide as it did, that this poisonous root of bitterness was growing. And then here's where it gets really challenging. It gets really challenging when you want to close the gap. Okay, you got me. You convinced me. I want to close the gap. Tell them to start first. Tell them to take the first step. If they'll change, I'll change. If they'll apologize, I'll apologize. And no one wants to take the first step. But in the verses we just read in Hebrews 3, it gives us three responsibilities for my relationship. It doesn't give us three responsibilities for your spouse or the person that you really hope is listening right now because they really need to hear this. It gives you three responsibilities for your relationship. And you can write these in. I want to give these to you. What am I responsible for in my relationship? Number one, according to Paul in Hebrews, is I have to work at peace. It's in verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. I got to work at peace. Peace is not a natural thing. You got to work at it. And in my experience, a lot of times, it's always easier not to talk about it, but it usually takes a little bit of conflict in order to finally have peace. I have to choose to de-escalate situations. A lot of times peace has to do with tone. How are we talking about what it is that we're talking about? Because you can talk about really, really difficult things and still have peace. But it depends on how you're talking about them. It's hard to have peace and criticism. At the end of the day, I say I love you. I want peace because I love you. And one of the things that Andrew and I have, we've started saying around our home over the years um, is do, do you want a resolution or do you want to prove a point? Whatever it is you're upset about, I want to resolve it. Do you want a resolution or do you want, like, because if, if this is important enough for you to, like, make a speech, and I'm talking to myself here because nobody gives better speeches than me in the heat of the moment in some marriage fights. I mean, I'm, I can rant like the best of them. If you just want to get some things off your chest, I'll sit here and listen. But are you just wanting to get some things off your chest or do you want a resolution? Because if you want a resolution, I'll go fix it. What do you want? you got to work at peace. Let me give you another one. Hebrews tells us we got to give grace. It's in verse 15. Look at it. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It's almost as if the author is saying that it's my responsibility that the people in my life receive grace. Not about how they feel about it or how they view themselves. It's how I act towards them. That I have to make sure that they receive grace. Grace, which means I have a choice to be offended today or a choice to give grace today. Offense is not an obligation. It's a choice that I can make to give grace because I know I need to give grace. One of the major turning points in in my marriage uh, with Andrea was the moment I realized how selfish I was. Not because she told me, but because God helped me to realize some few things about myself. And I, and I finally had the self-awareness to say, if we're fighting right now, it's probably because I've been selfish. And she would say, and she'll be up here in just a moment, she would say that she, her general posture, if my general like, uh, uh, unhealthy posture is selfishness, her general unhealthy posture is overreacting. And so we know when we come together to fight or to argue, I'm going to be selfish and she's probably going to be overreacting. And we've got to wade through those and get to the heart of the matter. But it became a whole lot easier for me to give grace to her when I realized that I need a lot of grace in my relationship. 
And so I want to make sure that she receives grace, that she feels the grace that, that we have. The last thing that the Hebrews says, my responsibility is to watch out for bitterness. Watch out for bitterness. It's also in verse 15. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up. You know when bitterness is growing up. You know. You think it. Sometimes you verbalize it to other people. You feel it in your heart. You feel the gap widening. You start saying things. You start perfecting stories and, and that you, you tell to your girlfriends or your buddies. You've told the story so many times that you know how to tell it, and there's bitterness growing in your heart, and you've got to watch out for a root of bitterness. Watch out for a root of bitterness. Dig it up. It's a lot easier to dig up when it's small than when it's large. So I'm going to ask Andrea to join me up here, uh, if, uh, if she would. And what we want to do for these last few minutes together is we want to talk about how do you close the gap. Hebrews tells us that we need to, you know, that we need to uh, work at peace and give grace and watch out for bitterness. So these are active things, active responsibilities in our relationship that I need to take responsibility for. But once I begin to see the bitterness and once I begin to feel the gap that is happening in my relationship, how do I close the gap? How do I close the distance? How do I begin to be a better spouse instead of a bitter spouse? And so I want us to talk about that a little bit. Um, and so thank you for agreeing to do this yeah. and to talk about us because uh, that's not always easy. But how do you close the gap in the marriage? The first thing that we would say is, number one, is the power of an apology. If there's bitterness in your relationship, if there's roots of bitterness beginning to grow, this sounds so simple, but isn't it so hard to do? Isn't it true that there comes a point of awkwardness in a relationship where it feels more awkward to address something than to avoid something? Yeah. We know what that feels like. It's been so long. If I bring it up, I don't know. And what we have learned in our relationship, by no means are we perfect. We're not even close to perfect. We've fought this week a couple of times. Like, this is a thing, okay? We always fight the most before the relationship series. I don't know what it's the devil. I don't know what it is. But anyway, the power of an apology. Not, I'm sorry if that offended you. That's not an apology. If it has if in it, it's not an apology. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. It's not an apology. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm not talking about these cliches like keep mama happy. Just go ahead and learn to apologize, buddy. That's stupid advice. Don't listen to that. And, and it doesn't work because we're partners in this. The, 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 there's no doghouse. There, like, we're partners in this. It's not keep mama happy. It's love someone and when you hurt them, make it right. Yeah, I think it goes back to humility and just what an apology does for our hearts and in, in, inside of us as a human being. And that it asks of us to um, kind of deal with our own pride. It asks of us to kind of get into a position where you say, you know what, man, I, I messed up. And he was giving examples of, you know, kind of the snarky, sarcastic apologies. Well, I'm, I'm sorry if you were offended or I'm, I'm sorry that you got so upset. I think on the other extreme, uh, maybe, maybe 
you might deal with this kind of apology. I, I'm so sorry, I can't get anything right. I'm, I'm just a big failure. I'm just a big idiot. I, I, I'm, I, I'm always in the wrong. Like it goes the other side to self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. And that is not, that's not appropriate either. Right. There is right in the middle a, a place of kind of genuine um, humility that says, you know what, I'm, I'm human and I messed up and I'm so sorry. How do we close the yeah. gap? How do we make it right? And one of the things that we've tried to do or even trying to teach our children to do this um, is, is to say why you're sorry. Yeah. And I feel like I'm like teaching an a, a elementary school, Sunday school class here, but let's just talk <laughs> through apologies for a second. Matter <laughs> of fact, why don't we practice this? Let's just say I'm sorry together. Ready? Here we go. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Come on, one more time. I'm sorry. Wow, that's powerful, that's right? Just get in the habit of saying that. But one of the things that we try to do is, why are you sorry? Yeah. Because the power of an apology is an attempt to make things right. Yeah. I'm sorry that, like, what did I do? And if I don't know what I did, help me understand what I did. And I'm, I am sorry that, I am sorry that I made you feel like I've neglected you. If you feel that way, that's, that's how you feel. <clears throat> And I'm sorry that I've made you feel like I don't care about time together. I'm sorry that I've made you feel like you have to take care of the kids by yourself. I am sorry that I've done that, and I want to do everything that I can to make it right. That's an apology. And apologies begin to close the gap, and you've got to be willing to go first. And isn't it true that when someone apologizes to you, even when we talk tough through text or we tell our friends, like, yeah, let them come to my face. Say that to my face, right? (laughs) Someone comes and apologizes to you, and, the, and just the act of humility makes you more humble. Yeah. Somebody's like, listen, I am really sorry. No, no I'm sorry. I, you know what? Stop it. You don't even need to apologize. Because it's the power of humility. You know what? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't say something sooner. Like, an apology usually breeds an apology. But, there, but, but depending on how wide that gap is, you may have to apologize your way back to the middle. We have even said to each other before, like, I just need a little tenderness. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, when, when maybe I'm, feel, when I'm being hard or I'm being harsh, um, he will say, like, I just can't. And, and that's what apology does. It softens. It just mm-hmm. softens. It softens the tone. It softens the environment. It softens your heart. It just softens. Yeah, and you can always find something that you can apologize for. Always. Always. If you can't, then apologize for being prideful and miserable <laughs> to live with. Okay? That's just the free advice for you right there. If you can't think of something to apologize for, apologize for being awful to live with. All right? Oh, wow. <laughs> because that's really hard for the person you're living with. Okay. Here we go. How do you close the gap in your marriage? Number two is time together. Now, we're going to talk about the sexual kind of time together in just a moment, but this is the non-sexual part of time together. And not that we're, like, categorizing, but if, like, apologies is a big deal to me. Yeah. You struggle to apologize, just to throw you under the bus a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry that I said that, but I... (laughs) But if we were categorizing, like, I love apologies, I want apologies, I want to re- resolve conflict, that's maybe not your favorite thing to do. But then when we go to number two, you love time together. Yeah. This is where I tend to struggle a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so why don't you talk a little bit about the power of how time together closes the gap? I just think it's really easy, especially if you are in that season of life where your career is, you know, kind of a focus, you're, you're raising kids, that's a huge focus. It is so easy 
to um, find really great excuses to not spend time together. We'll get to that. And I think that this demonstrates, talk about the difference between soulmate and roommate. Yeah. Man, it can so feel like you are just roommates trying to get the groceries together, trying to get the kids on the bus, trying to get to work on time, trying to make sure that somebody took care of the laundry um, and, and just absolutely miss out on that connection, that time together. And I think this applies, I mean, for sure in marriage, but it's, it's any relationship. When you start feeling like, man, I just haven't heard from so-and-so or I just haven't, you probably need to hang out. Like yeah. it's that simple. You probably need to do something together. Yeah. And here's a marriage tip for, for the ladies. If you are anxious about bringing up a tough conversation, you, you, you want to apologize or you want to have um, maybe a, a discussion about something that has been on your mind, find an activity that you can do side by side and bring up the conversation there. Because when men are actively kind of doing something, as opposed to, hey, we're going to sit across the table from each other and have a meaningful conversation. I really yeah. want to connect with you. Yeah. You know, that's a little intimidating. But can we be doing something? Can we be working on a project together? Can yeah. we, um, you know, there's a lot of examples. But quality time, time together does so much to close yeah. that gap. I think scheduled time together has been big for us. Like you giving me a heads up. Like, hey, next week I would love for for us to go, just me and you, spend some time together, and and just, like, us trying to make that a priority yeah. uh, on our calendar. But then I also think, like, spontaneous time together, one of the things that we have always tried to prioritize, for better or for worse, is, is like, being willing to say yes and on the fly, like, get a babysitter and go. Yeah. And there have been times when we've had to go four or five deep on the babysitter list, <laughs> but it's like, you know... You're not a criminal. We'll take you. All right, come in here. <laughs> That's and terrible. You don't have a teardrop tattoo. You can That's be the babysitter. Terrible. Come on in here. And you know what I mean? And it's like the the just this feeling of like, it's gonna be okay. The kids are gonna be okay. Let's yeah. go spend some time together. So we schedule it. Yeah. And we also try to say yes when like a spontaneous you'll there have been a lot of times like we've texted each other at like four thirty or five o'clock. It's yeah. like Let's go get dinner tonight. We got to make it happen. Yeah. And it's, it's also easy to hide behind your social engagements. You can trick yourself into thinking, well, we spent time together last night. We, we went to a wedding with all of our friends or we yeah. went to, um, a, a, you know, some other kind of social gathering. I think it's important to also recognize, like, but did we do that with a whole group of people? Was right. there other people? Because you can hide behind um, those kind of events as well. One-on-one -on -one time. Something yeah. where the two of you are having to connect. Yeah. And then also I would just add on to this uh, before we get to number three is non-sexual physical touch. Yeah. And um, this isn't some always are like, easy. What is that? Yeah, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so this has been really big for us because when there is tension between us or when there's a gap between us, one of the best ways for us to close the gap, and this is going to sound lame and cheesy maybe to some people, is just hugging. Yeah. And, and, and like... Sure especially in the afternoon when you're stressed out with the kids or I'm stressed out with the kids or we didn't resolve something the night before. Like we, we totally believe in not going to bed angry, but sometimes it's two in the morning, you gotta go to bed. You know what I mean? And so the next day we resolve this thing. And so um, there have been a lot of times where like I'll come in and like we're fighting and your posture is literally away from me. Yeah. It's like, hey, we were in it. And, and so it's like, hey, come on. We'll, we'll figure yeah, it out in a second. Fine. I'm not saying we're not going to talk about it, but I love you. Yes. And just. My initial reaction is like, ah. Don't touch me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on in here. Come, Come on, on in, in here. Come and, on in. and like, not the tap. The no, tap is a sign. That the, 
the tap is a sign we're not good. You know, but once you get both hands, once you get both arms, then you're good. It's really hard to fight and hug at the same time. That's yeah. just free marriage advice right there. Come on, that's good advice. Come on. It's really hard to fight and hug. And so even if you don't feel like it, even if you're having to fake it, even if you're having to put up with it, it's like physical contact, non-sexual physical contact melts ice. It is that softening that we talked about with yeah. the apology. It does the same thing. It just changes the environment. It changes the tone. And so all of these ways to close the gap that we're giving you are not things that when you're feeling bitter or feel a gap that you want to do. Right. It's things that you got to step in. So let's look at number three uh, real quick. How do you close the gap? Sex. Let's go ahead and get the middle school giggle out of the way. Everybody giggle. That's great. All right. So we say around here, and we've said it before a lot, is that sex is the super glue of marriage. God created sex as the super glue of marriage. And, and, he, and God created it. It's not taboo. It's not bad. It's a gift from God. And, and within the confines of marriage, you're probably not doing it enough, to be honest with you. And so God created sex for us. And there are all kinds of challenges and all kinds of things. And we're not saying that we're not, there's not standards that we apply to one size fits all or any of those things. But it is amazing how a gap begins to close when a couple decides, even though we haven't figured out everything else, we're not going to stay away from each other sexually. Yeah. Because God gave us each other, and sex is a way that we get back together. Literally, physically, emotionally, this is the way that we get back together. And so where there are relationships and where there are marriages where there's not sex or where there's very little sex, it's going to be very hard to close the gap. There's going to be a lot of apologies. That's great. There's going to be, you know, non-sexual touch. That's fine. But in a survey, stereotyping a little bit, but in one survey... Couples were asked, how important is sex to you? And for men, it was always number one or two. For women, it was ranked number 13. Number 12 was gardening together. <laughs> so there are That'll literally times when she would rather start a garden with you yeah. than take your clothes off. Okay? Wow. And nothing wrong with gardening. <laughs> But it ain't sex, okay? And so, I got an amen in the front row. And so, and, and so, you know, we joke about it, we kid about it, but it is a very real issue. And when we talk to couples who are trying to figure out how to hang on, how to keep it together, somebody has to take the first step and yeah. say, this is not a carte block forgiveness of, of everything that you've ever done. This is not saying we're not going to work it out. This is not saying we're not going to talk about it. This is not saying we don't have a lot of work to do. This is just my attempt for us to close the gap. Yeah. And I also think it's significant, the order um, that this happens, the reason that we talk about apologizing first is because that typically can lead to yeah. time together and sex that there's a reason why you got to kind of deal with that piece of pride or whatever the scenario is that is significant. You got to start there. Yeah. And, and whoever, in most relationships, there is one person who's not as inclined to sex and one person who is. And we're not going to stereotype that it's men or women, but usually in a relationship, there is one who is and who isn't. And for the one who isn't, we're not saying that you don't get a voice. We're not saying that, that, you don't, like, that you don't work together. In a loving, married relationship, we work together uh, the way that God created for us to try to figure out the best way to go about this. But you are asking a lot to ask your spouse to never 
be able to have sex, but still be all in physically, emotionally, romantically, and spiritually. Because sex is one of the ways that God uses in order to keep a couple together the way that he designed them to be. The Bible is very clear about that. And so we want to encourage you and, 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 and challenge you. And there have been times in our relationship after we've had babies and when we've not been on the same page for different periods of time where we have had in a very scientific, non-romantic way had to look at each other and say, we got to have sex <laughs> because we got to close the gap. We've got to close the gap. And so uh, we just want to challenge you in that. We're not making light of it. We're not in any way making light of it. We know that there are extreme challenges and issues that, that throw up a barrier in that way. But whatever it is that you can do, it is a tool that God gave you in order to, to help the marriage get better and less bitter. Do you have anything you want to add before we close out? I think you can apply the, um, some of the starting pieces that you talked about, um, like peace and grace and looking out for bitterness. I think you can apply those specifically to the areas of sex and intimacy. Like it is the perfect opportunity for you to work on something together. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure this out. What are the challenges? How can we, we have the rest of our marriage to figure this out. And I want to figure this out. I want it to be great. I want it to be something that both of us enjoy. And I think for, for, from the female perspective, when that is the tone, it is so much easier because it's a lot of pressure to feel like I have to solve that problem today. Yeah. But if there is grace that's given, if there is a, a, a mindset, we're, we're in this together yeah. and we're going to figure this out together and, and come on, let's go, then I think that it takes yeah. some of that pressure off. I can be a better spouse or I can be a bitter spouse. I can be a better spouse or I can be a bitter spouse, but I can't be both. It's my responsibility to close the gap. And so the challenge that I would challenge you with as we close out this message, and this is a question for you. It's not a question for your spouse. It's a question for you. Do you feel like you're getting better or do you feel like you're getting bitter? As you think about your relationship, your marriage, your spouse, conversations you've been having with yourself and your head and your heart, do you feel like you're getting better or do you feel like you're getting bitter? And if you begin to spot poisonous roots of bitterness that are growing up and a gap that is widening, do everything you can to close the gap. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Honestly, God, Jesus was the way that you closed the gap to us. You did whatever it took to close the gap. And so, God, I pray that you would put that desire in our heart with our spouse that you have given us or our fiance that you've given us or our potential spouse that you've given us, God, that we would make the decision today to be better, not bitter, and to work at peace and grace, and time together, and humility, and sex, God. Pray for every relationship, every couple, every spouse, every parent, God. Soften our hearts to be who you want us to be in our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.